Hello and welcome to We Are Weezer Perfect Situation 17. I'm Rachel and I'm here today with John Carroll from the Post Pinkerton Podcast. Hi, John. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Yes, thanks for coming on. Super excited to talk with you about some wheeze. Mm-hmm. Before we get going, We Are Weezer is a podcast about Weezer, and uh, we have two kinds of episodes. We have a song review episode where my guest host and I scour the internet to find details and fun facts on your favorite Weezer songs. We give you all the details, review it, and rate it using our special rating system. And we have perfect situations where we'll do Weezer news, guest interviews, Weezer stories, the history behind a Weezmark or an album release party, etc. So we will take a quick break and come back and talk to John about John and Post Pinkerton. <laughs> So, John, welcome. And why don't you tell us about yourself? You know, what do you do? Where do you, where are you from? So, my name's John Carroll. I'm, as Rachel mentioned, the host of a show called Post Pinkerton, which naturally made me a, a guest who wanted to be on this show. So, thank you again for having me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm originally from Philadelphia, uh, born and raised. Uh, hopefully, still have some of that in my like voice and my prince. attitude. Yes, like the Fresh Prince. <laughs> so. I have been a writer for many years, writing short fiction. Uh, I've done less of that in recent years, in part because I started doing this podcast, for one. I also have become a bit of a performer. I'm an improvising comedian. I do long-form improv, which is kind of like uh, a lot of people like to start by saying, it's like whose line is in it anyway, but very different <laughs> in that we we do more like scenes and character creation sort of things. So... I, I live now outside of Seattle with my family, and I, uh, yeah, I, I do a lot of performing here and produce shows, uh, so that's sort of another sort of, used to be an activity, but now it's like a, a small little side gig, because I, I do some work both as a, a producer and a coach instructing others, nice. and yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm at these days. I host the podcast, I perform, and I'm a parent. I have a, a da- daughter who I love <laughs> and who I I raised here at home. Uh, so that's that's kind of John Carroll as of 2019. <laughs> it's kind of an important job, right? It is. <laughs> Some would say the most important. <laughs> and I bet it is like the best and the worst all the time because it's like you love them, but then it's like all day together. So it's good that, you know, you probably get a break at, in the evenings or – on the weekends, swim yes. lessons. Yes, that's uh, what's nice about having creative outlets like that is, A, for me, I think it's just, you know, that great, like, I don't want to call it an escape because I never feel like I'm dying to get away, but it's good to have something other than just your child in your life. That could be very, mm-hmm. like, isolating if that was your entire focus. I also think it'll be good for her just growing up to have uh, an important figure in her life who sort of has creative channels. I think that'll help her develop her own interests in creative pursuits, I think. So I, I hope I hope that works out for both of us. <laughs> I'm sure way. it will. <laughs> I don't know how it could not. Yeah. Well, so why don't you tell us about Post Pinkerton? So Post Pinkerton is a podcast I started about, I think, two years ago, but that I 
I've been sitting on the idea for years. It first was a blog idea, and I never really think that I went through with it because I just thought to myself that there was enough Weezer writing on the internet and that my my spin on it wasn't unique enough. And so the idea to start podcasting, the idea just came when I realized a few things. Um, a, that I could include audio snippets that would help me make my points better than I would have in writing, that I would have had to link to like time-stamped YouTube videos where, as in a podcast, I can drop in uh, a small portion of audio to help illustrate a point that was big. And I also just thought making it a show, making it a podcast, just, I think, helped sell how funny I think the idea is. <laughs> I think there's something inherently funny about taking this portion of the band's career that I think in the wider culture is a bit unfairly maligned because there's so much good work within it. I think there's it, there's some humor in deciding to make my point by saying I'm going to listen and talk about each and every song <laughs> from this specific time period and not let myself talk about the material that everyone like universally agrees is great. And so mm -hmm. it's that combination of factors that made me think, you know what, I, I want to do this show. Uh, I want to have podcasting in my life. And if I'm going to do a podcast, I should do it about something that I feel like I'm an expert on. And while I'm by no means a Weez the Weezer expert, I, I've been following the band well and long enough and closely enough that I felt pretty comfortable sort of uh, taking it on. So that's kind of the genesis of everything from my end. What other podcasts do you listen to since you're a, a podcast fan? So I don't listen to a ton of Weezer podcasts. I'm curious if you do. I always like to ask anyone that does a Weezer podcast how much we how many Weezer podcasts they listen to. I do it as sort of a, I like to get to know the shows, but I'm, I'm always worried about like, I don't want to ever do an episode where it feels like I'm just taking like your thoughts or Chris from Weez Talk and Weez to these thoughts. Um, Chris the Younger, Chris the Elder, I should say, because <laughs> there's two Chris's. Uh, so I like, to, I like to listen as like, I don't want to call it research because it's not like I'm scouting or anything, but I like to listen to get to know the format, to get to know the hosts. And I definitely like to listen when there's like what I think of as like news worthy shows. Uh, so like for for me, like episodes that I raced to listen to of yours were just like when Carl was on, for example, because it's like if you listen to my show, you'll hear me reference those episodes because they're not just interviews, which you know alone would be great, but they like made news that I need to reference in my show because my show is so much about collecting the history and trying to use it to pr like present context to the song and analyze the song. So a lot of the podcasts I listen to are just, for me, entirely off-topic. Like, my favorite, my favorite podcast is this show called The Best Show. It used to be on the freeform radio station WFMU. It's one of the, like, uh, pretty early for podcasts, because they took the radio show, they started releasing it as a podcast. It left the station a few years ago, and now has become just a freestanding show on its own. And I just think it's the, f I think it's, for me, the funniest thing I've ever listened to. It's a wow, that's a it's statement. a call-in talk show. Um, it also features sort of uh, the host Tom Sharpling and his collaborator John Worcester. Uh, John will call in and do a character, but otherwise, all the calls are real. Occasionally, there'll be like celebrity guests, but it's mostly just listeners, and it's this great combination of like Tom does a lot of writing and prep for the show, but he also just has a great sort of take on presenting a call-in talk show that 
I just think it's amazing. It's a three-hour show. It comes out every week. Anyone I recommend it to, their barrier is always, well, I don't have three hours to listen to. But the people who do commit just fall in love with it the same way I did. I think it's just uh, an amazing, amazing show. And for me, it's like a must-listen every week. Some other shows I listen to would just be I love Reply All. Um, it's a, just a, a great show about the internet. I, li- I love listening to Harmontown, which features the community and Rick and Morty creator Dan Harmon doing like this, like again, kind of like freeform style comedy show <laughs> where he's talking to guests, uh, rapping, playing Dungeons and Dragons, just like a, a weird kind of podcast variety show. So Fine. those those are my favorites these days. Um, I have found with parenting that I have less time to listen to podcasts, and I have to, I've had to cut out some classics over the years. Like I used to love Mark Maron's show. Um, I've had trouble keeping up with it in recent years. I kind of just pop in for for special guests now and then. But yeah, th- those are sort of at the top of my list. Uh, those those three shows these days: the Best Show, Harmontown, and Reply All. What do they call in about on the Best Show? So on the best like just show, life advice or yeah, it's part of the reason it's so hard to explain. Not what the show is about, but like what the calls are about is that there's just this like great culture that grows over the years. So you'll have like there's always a weekly call in topic. Like for the past few weeks, as of our recording this, um, it's been a topic called the fifty greatest weirdos. So people call in <laughs> and they pitch who they think like a great weirdo from history is, and Tom decides if they make the list or not. Um, but you'll, you'll also have people call in on like evergreen freestanding topics. You'll have regular callers who call in. Like one of my favorites is uh, this guy, Jason from Huntsville, Alabama. And he'll call in and they'll they'll talk about whatever's on Jason's mind. But Tom will also <laughs> want to talk about like Nick Saban, the coach of like the Alabama football team. And it just, you know, it, it's hard to encapsulate because it's such a big show and it's been running for so long. But it's also has this... It has this great, like, aside from the the length, it has this great welcoming attitude where you don't need to listen and know all the history to enjoy it. Um, so, yeah, it just covers so many topics from music, movies, just what's going on in Tom's life. Um, so it really is like a a radio show to yeah, podcast. It, it really is because I what made me probably love podcasting all these years later was just listening to so much talk radio as a kid. Like yeah. my family always had it on. And so I think Tom's show really understands what's great about talk radio and also like perverts and has fun with the things that are annoying about talk radio, right? That if that if someone calls up who is annoying or has a bad attitude or doesn't respect the show, like Tom's not going to keep them on because he's short of callers. Tom's going to throw them off the line <laughs> or Tom's going to like uh, this great thing he does is like, well, will play this music and blast them out of the show. It's called Bad Companying a Guest. <laughs> and <laughs> it's just this great thing that he does with the format. He both respects it, but like understands the ways that he can sort of turn it on its head and have even more fun with it. So yeah, just a, the biggest possible recomm- recommendation for me. I've been listening to, for, to it for years now, and it's really one of the more important things in my life. I, I love it. <laughs> I'm a huge fan. I'm that actually staring. Me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love going to like, like po- live podcasts. And that reminds me of um, like, I think the reason I like podcasts is because I grew up listening to Kevin and Bean down here mm-hmm. and they've kind of branched off there. It used to be just a morning show with 
music in between, and now they they turned it into a podcast so that they take out the music that you don't need or whatever, mm-hmm. and you just hear the show. But they have like regular bits and regular callers, and you just get used to their voices and you, you see their stories. And you know, if somebody's boring, they'll they'll have another phone call. Like so, it'll like mm-hmm. ring during their the, the, you know the boring person <laughs> talking. So they have their own things, and it's just been interesting. I think that podcasts are going to be the new radio shows now. I think pretty soon there's not going to be any more like radio. It's going to be all podcasts and it it will be your favorite show or it'll be a station, but the station will be playing podcasts. It won't be like, it's like you, why would you, if you want to listen to music, you're going to listen to music. If you want to hear people like a show, you're going to listen to a show. You're not going to kind of get that combo. I don't know. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I even like willingly listened to the radio. Uh, just because it used to be like a few years ago, I would probably say in a rental car, but now it's even easy in rental cars to make sure that you can listen to whatever it is you want on your phone. So, well, I don't even get like good, like my stations don't come in well where I am mm-hmm. for some reason. So, I can't even really listen to the radio on my drive. So, it's weird. Yep. It's definitely like, I don't know, maybe they're not putting money into those satellites anymore. It's more like satellite radio or I just listen to my phone. Yeah, So it's interesting. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of post-Pinkerton, though, I was listening to a ton of them yesterday, like I said, I told you. Mm -hmm. And I loved Yellow Camaro. Oh. That was so fun. (laughs) And I learned, you know, I that's something that I definitely – can recommend about your show is that you're talking about demos and B-sides and you're not just sticking to the album songs and especially with, you know, very unknown demos. Like I've never heard of Yellow Camaro before, Mm -hmm. period. So that was fun to learn about. Listen to, you know, I don't, it's nice to not, I appreciate that and I try to do that with this show, but like not have to do all the work myself. Like mm-hmm. you brought it to me and gave me all the fun stuff and let me listen to it a little bit. So now I can like seek it out if I want to or get the, I think it's like a Japan, like rare Japan <laughs> deluxe something version of, what was that one on? Was that one on? It might've been Death to False Metal or Hurley. Yes. I can't remember off the yes. top of my head, but It was yeah, like the you- Japan... Like not bootleg, but uh, import version of Death of False Metal yeah. from who knows when. So and it's, yeah, that's what I I like doing about the show is it'll sometimes like that episode took me on a little bit of a journey because the way I generally pick episodes is I'll just shuffle the the music in my library and pick whatever song comes out and I do some controlling to make sure that we don't talk about say a green album song three weeks in a row. But for the most mm-hmm. part, it's just like whatever comes up, I want to work on. And I sometimes have these reactions when a song like Yellow Camaro comes up. And I think, oh, finally an easy one. Because in my brain, (laughs) I just think, like, that's a short song. I know it's written by Brian. I know it's, like, ostensibly about cars. Like, how complicated could this be? And then you just find out sometimes. you're Like, I, I do remember knowing, like, oh, there's multiple demos of this. I had forgotten that it had become like a, a technically an official release and then that learning that reminded me the backstory of oh yeah brian actually was surprised when this happened like a fan told him <laughs> at some sort of meet and greet and brian was taken aback because he actually didn't know that the song 
had seen official release. And, and it just allowed me to go into like Brian's complicated relationship with the band when it comes to his material. Cause he's not, when he has written or co-written a song, he hasn't always been thrilled with it. There was actually just an interview I read this week. There was a translated interview. I forget which international outlet it was from, but he was talking about how he wasn't super thrilled with how the prince who uh, wanted everything from the most recent album, the Black Album, he wasn't thrilled with that either. <laughs> so it's it's funny you bring up Yellow Camaro because I was just thinking about that episode this week and reading this that interview and seeing like, oh yeah, once again, he's not like thrilled with how the material turned out that he worked on with Rivers in terms of writing or uh, co-writing or writing on his own? Well, it might be kind of a perfectionist thing where, you know, the the chances that he does get to get on to the albums, either he doesn't have full control or Rivers will like maybe, this is speculation, like tweak something that he thought was right and then later, you know, gets tweaked and it's, so it's not exactly how he would have done it. And so it's kind of annoying or yeah, he doesn't feel like it's like right in his head, but it's probably fine. Yeah. He seems to like, uh, in what these songs share in common is it seems like he's not, not always happy with how they sound. Like it, it's interesting cause it's not even, it doesn't seem to often be a lyrical issue with him, but like how the songs are, I'm not sure if it's production choices or coming down to the mixing, but yeah, he's, he's not always, happy with how it turned out and that's it's a just interesting that he feels that way and b really interesting to me as like a a host of a podcast like this that he'll talk about it like kind of willingly and publicly i feel like that's something that i bet goes on with a lot of bands that we don't necessarily hear from all the members you know and that's one of the things that makes doing a show about weezer and the specific era of weezer so interesting to me is that the band is, has often been more forthright than you would expect uh, in the press about some of the issues they've encountered on the way. Yeah, like he's open and honest about how he really feels about mm-hmm. their music. Yeah. So which song is that, The Prince Who Wanted Everything? How does that one... Is that uh, the... It's the one that goes... Yeah. It's the one about Prince. Yes, the one about Prince. <laughs> Oh, Del Rachel. Okay, so that's interesting. I wonder what he didn't like about it. Did he say, or he just was like, "eh, it's not." So my I read a, a rough translation. I think it was like posted by a, a, a Weezer forum member, and so my understanding of it was that he didn't like the the sort of the swing of it, the the, okay. the swinginess of the sound, uh, which definitely there. I understand what he's talking about if that's in fact the case, but. Yeah, it, it does make you wonder, like, I, I wonder in these cases, and I think the same thing happened with Yellow Camaro, it's like, when is Brian even being given these materials? If he, <laughs> You know, like, is he hearing that final version before it's released, after it's released? I think it's unclear. And in, in the case of Yellow Camaro, he didn't even know it was out until after it was out. <laughs> That's so weird. You would yeah. think that somebody would give him a heads up. Yeah. Or that, you know... I don't know. But uh, they've said in the past also that they don't find out about stuff or like they're already on to like the second or third album after they've Mm -hmm. released. So, you know, when Pacific Daydream came out, they were already working on the Black Album or whatever they're working on now. Mm -hmm. So that's something I think about a lot when I'm like doing research for the show is if I'm 
researching stuff on, say, Black Album, I've only done, I think, one of the songs thus far on the show. But, like, as I research that, I'm going to have to go back to, like, Pacific Daydream era press because that's when they were talking about that album. They were even starting to hype it up back when the White Album came out. Yeah, I feel bad about Pacific Daydream. I don't know if you do, but I Hmm. I wish that there, I don't know, was more. It seems like they're even, like, playing more Black Album songs and cover songs live now. Mm-hmm. And they just totally skipped over Pacific Daydream, and I don't understand. I don't get it. Yeah, I feel like that's been the story for so many albums, right? Where we don't hear much of them live, and they're kind of quickly forgotten. And that's, you know, I, we, we started down this whole process with you asking sort of, why did I start to do the show? And I think this is related to that because for me, a big part in doing this show is trying to celebrate, I think, material that in the wider culture has gone either unheard or ignored. Because Weezer, I feel, gets a lot of press when they kind of make a mistake or they release a song that a lot of people think is bad. And they don't get attention when they release good material. And they don't get... I think the the benefit of pointing at some of the stronger work they've released. Because I, I, I look at an album like Pacific Daydream, it's not one of my favorites, but there's a couple of like really good songs on there. I'm actually right now working on uh, next week's show is going to be about what I think is the, the best song on that album, Weekend Woman. Um, and, and that'll be coming out on my podcast this week. And like that's something I can't wait to talk about because it has rich history. It's born out of an old like Green Album demo, and it's like just a, a really good song with a rich, interesting history on an album that's like kind of overlooked. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that's interesting in exploring all this is that on the one hand, I think that they don't get a, the fairest shake these days in the in the broader sort of like mainstream culture. But I also think they're, as you pointed out, partly responsible for it because they'll sometimes just push past new material entirely and maybe not give it the showcase it deserves. Um, uh, Particularly live, when you have so many people coming out to see a show, I would love to see a better balance of like, here's the stuff you came to hear for the casual fans, and here's some stuff that might excite you while you're here. While you're hearing, you know, the Blue Album stuff and the Teal covers that you're into, how about this? these couple songs that might point you to some of our stronger work that you haven't heard. And we know you haven't heard because we can see the sales numbers and we can see the streaming numbers, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Because there's there's some work that I think goes unheard of theirs because it's not up to par. But I think there's a lot of work too that goes unheard because there's this impression that all of it's not up to par. And I think that's that's an impression that they could do a little bit more to correct, in my opinion. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I get it, but I I just, I like... At a concert to wrap it up with a cover or mix it up with that, mm-hmm. you know, in between when he's doing Stand By Me in the middle of the show. I get that. But to add so many of them to your show when you could be playing your own content is just odd to me. And I don't, I'm assuming it's for sales or because it's like hot right now with the kids or, you know, because. You know, they're doing it at Coachella with Chili and mm-hmm. from TLC. So it's like, you know, is that appealing to the kids to like bring the old old school quote unquote mm-hmm. music to them in like a fun I mean, I don't understand like the point there, I guess. Yeah, I'm I'm not the biggest fan myself. 
I think I do understand it better these days, at least, because when they... I remember when the Teal album came out, I think I might have tweeted this. I said, like, Weezer's gonna perform this with Chili from TLC. Like, when I heard <laughs> No Scrubs, I just instantly knew she's gonna come to a live show and they're gonna perform it. And it's gonna be smart, right? Because it's gonna get them some press coverage and some attention. Yeah. And so, like, that part makes sense to me. I do agree that, though, like seeing the set lists in the wider tour and seeing the number of covers, and it's only grown over the years. My understanding from interviews is that the band is doing this because they want everyone who comes to the show to have fun. And a great way to ensure everyone has fun is to play songs that they know. And that a way that you can bridge that gap and not just play tons of early material is to sprinkle in covers. So I do get all that. I wonder, though, if they're, you know... They might have like unknowingly just made themselves into a cover band. And some of the comments they've made while promoting Teal and Black mm-hmm. have sort of, I think, are starting to allude to the fact that they're not thrilled with this. So I'm curious to see if it'll change. You know, like Africa's so. popular enough that I think that they're going to have to play it for a long time. Just based, like, they're still playing Buddy Holly like every show. So Africa yeah. might be popular enough that it's, it's similar going to be like just become a staple. I'm curious to see if all the covers remain, though, or if they change. Because I think an interesting thing they're going to have to reckon with is that the Teal album is more popular than the Black album. This thing that they conceived to sort of take Africa's success and try to build some momentum and promotion for their new album actually, like, uh, stepped over it entirely, right? Like, it kind of obscured the fact that there was another album coming out. Um, which I, I'm not sure if this happened to you, but I remember just people texting me when the Black Album came out saying, Weezer has another album out already. And it came, <laughs> I got it from enough people that I was like, oh no, like, <laughs> like the, the, everyone thought the Teal album was it. That was the new album. And th- they're shocked to see that there's original material out. So I'm curious to see how the band uh, reckons with it because I think that there will be a lot of pressure for them to release another co- covers album. Like it would be probably good business move to do that, right? Um, but the question is, do they want to do that? Will it jive with what they're seemingly trying to do with the two new records? Like, it seems like the one they're calling OK Human is the next one. And it sounds a lot different than Black. It sounds like they're taking the work more seriously. They're working with Jake Sinclair again. Doesn't seem like it would jive with another covers album, but another covers album might be like, again, a a good business move. So I'm curious to see how they navigate all this. I think it's going to be a couple interesting years to be a Weezer fan because they're really going to be charting sort of not only their course for the next few years, but it's going to have a big impact, I think, on how they're perceived too. Well, and you don't want to be perceived as a cover band, I don't think. So even if it's a good business move, I don't know that it's a good long-term move. Yeah. I don't think that a true fan really wants that. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's nice. I think it's nice to have, you know, for example, when I have my parents over, I just pop on the teal and they don't <laughs> mind it. But if I had popped on Pinkerton or something, they're going to be like, what is this? I don't want to hear this during dinner. Mm-hmm. So I like that I can still like incorporate Weezer into like every part of my life, you know, uh, for everyone. So I, I get that. But I don't want them to do that forever. I don't I don't care about that. I, I want to hear, mm-hmm. you know, Weezer stuff. And I I think that Pacific Daydream was really, really good. I think it was better. Okay, I'll say it. I think it's better than black. Wow. And I don't understand why they didn't play it at all. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I think 
I'm not as uh, I'm not as high on that album as you, but it did like it did seem because they pitched it as like this is this album in between white and black. Like they almost set themselves up to ignore it, right? Because they presented it as here's this in between project. It's like made up of this mix of songs where you have like the back half seems clearly inspired by I would say classic pop music, right? There's like definitely like Phil Spector wall of sound vibes at, at times but then the album opens with this white album cast off and so it just seems like <clears throat> it's this it's a very interesting album but the band like almost presented it as like here's this thing that's like they almost made it seem like a side project album right yeah. like it's it's this thing in between stops like the white album and the black album are the big albums and here's this th- thing in the middle and then they release another album the covers album <laughs> before they get to black album they're playing more of the gosh darn covers album than pacific daydream well and carl confirmed that too he was like you're probably not going to see pacific daydream live that's just how it is so. yeah and it's it's surprising to me that they don't hit everything right like i think they've been around long enough and can play a long enough set that I'm surprised they don't touch on every album. That's actually a right? reason I loved the uh, uh, Memories Tour so much because obviously they were playing Blue and Pinkerton in full. It's amazing. But just having that setup of, I think they called it like the Weezer Time Machine beforehand, where you move retroactively through their career, just seems like a great, not just for that tour, but overall seems like a great idea of like, Hey, we've been around long enough. Let's let's take a look at our entire career. Let's touch on every album. Let's make sure that, that would be amazing. Yeah, if, yeah. If you're hearing, you know, a few. Like, let's give you a taste of everything. Um, it would be a great way to cycle in new songs. That if they just like prepped two or three songs from each album, could rotate. Just have different set lists. And but again, maybe maybe that doesn't get people's butts in the seats. I don't know. Like, I'm I'm, I'm so disconnected from the business end of things that mm-hmm. I'm sure someone would hear that idea and say, "No, this is safer." Like that's silly. Yeah. yeah. And I I think Pat mentioned in a recent interview I watched that like I think the whole covers thing started in earnest because they were playing state fairs and had to had to build something of broader appeal. But I think even he mentioned that like it's surprising to him that they're still doing it <laughs> right <laughs> like that's that's the strange thing is it, it's it's bled in from the state fair show the radio festival type shows where you're trying to appeal to people who are not necessarily there for you it is strange to go to a weezer show and be surrounded by sure plenty of people who are, are casual fans but also plenty of people who are diehard fans and not see a better balance of a set list geared to both right mm-hmm. because i'm i'm at the point in my fandom where I listen to everything, love following the band. Live shows, though, are a tougher commitment for me to make unless they're special, right? Unless there's something that's going to be for me. Because I feel like in recent years, it's been similar enough that I'm not sure if I'm always going to go for that reason. Other than to just support because they're not like going to do anything crazy. Yeah, and, Yeah, and not even crazy so much as... Different, you know, is this, I guess. Is it, yeah, is this going to be very similar to the last set list? Because, yeah. you know, there is a band I really greatly admire in terms of live sets is, I'm not sure if you listen to much Radiohead, but I'm a big Radiohead fan. They're probably like right behind Weezer in terms of just like how much I've been interested interested in them in my lifetime. And they do a great thing with their set lists where they change pretty drastically and they just seem to be shaped by the band's interest in what they're playing on their newest work and what 
really speaks to them at that time of their touring and their career from their past work. And so you'll see, you know, you don't see calculations like what's popular. You actually see it born more of, well, hey, what's what's interesting to us right now and what's relevant from our past song work, from our, from our past albums, uh, relevant to that what we're working on now. we kind of go with now. that. Yeah, and so you have these, like, really, like, beautiful, interesting set lists that have some staples, but even the staples sometimes disappear for a tour or two. And I just think it's a really interesting way to approach touring, and it makes the shows feel like, you know, they, they tour much less nowadays. But for me, it's like, I must go if they ever tour anywhere near me because I know there's been so much thought and care given to the set list. And Weezer, this last tour, they seem to finally be trying to work in some variety. There's still a ton of covers, but it seems like it's at least changing more. It's changing Um, probably every show, at least one song. Yeah. And I I hope they do more. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I like the production value going on this, this round. I think, you know, it's something worth seeing. It's not just them on stage with some lights behind them. Mm -hmm. They're, you know, they're, they're making an effort and I think that it's partially like they're listening to, well, they're listening to the management and the money, but they're also mm-hmm. listening to the fans where he, Rivers must be like, okay, let's change. Let's change this, like the song, you know, every show. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, everyone leaves happy. Like I, I saw the tour when they were in Washington, the, this most recent, not the second, the first leg of the Weezer Pixies tour. And it was like, as you mentioned, just excellent and excellent production values. The set was like a little bland for me, but I still had a good time. It's just the kind of thing that, uh, you know, I feel like this is, I forget which comedian said this, but there's this like sort of ethos in stand-up comedy these days of like, it used to be that you could tour for years behind the same stand-up set, but people are changing it more often now because... Their sets are more often filmed. They're filming more specials. And also because of just this idea of if you do a stand-up set and it kills and someone comes to your next show and they see the same stand-up set, they're still going to have a good time, but they're not necessarily going to come back for a third time. <laughs> so the idea being like when, that, when, you, when someone has a good time and they come back, are they ever going to come back again if the second time is the same experience as the first and so I wonder about that because I think we're in a class of fans where like we're following them no matter what they do, right? Like right. we we've yeah, stuck they, through they, albums that we've liked less got than me others. Hooked. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. So I, I wonder about these fans though are having a great time. Are they coming back? Are they connecting with the music in any other way? Or are they just gonna see one or two shows within the past five years and be done with it? And if because so, where's novel. that gonna leave the band in the and long run? Because Africa. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and and if they don't, so in my opinion, if they don't play stuff that they've never heard before, at least a couple songs, mm-hmm. then how are they, how else are they going to hear it? You know, yeah. I mean, especially live when you have this opportunity to like, you know, you've got the old school fans to be there and like show the the kids that like this song rocks, mm-hmm. and if they see everyone else rocking out to the song and they don't know it. And they like it live. Maybe they go buy that album. I don't know. So it just seems like a like a weird thing not to play some stuff. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Because I, I have learned about whenever I go to see shows of bands that I'm not familiar with their entire catalog, 
I learn a lot from the set list about what I should go listen to next. Um, I saw Elvis Costello, uh, I forget if it was earlier this year or the end of last year, but, you know, his set list really gave me some direction on how to attack and approach the back half of his catalog, which I was less familiar with. Um, or even to give like a Weezer example, on that Memories tour that I was talking about earlier, I saw the band Free Energy open for them. And I thought their set was just like so amazing. I went home and I listened to their album Stuck on Nothing. And it's probably like one of my favorite albums from the past 10 years. I think it's just a wow a, an excellent album. And I only heard it because it was new music I heard at a show. And so... I definitely like wish there was more of that going on at Weezer shows. Not for me because they would have to like bust out like unreleased, you know, tracks at this point for me to hear <laughs> yeah, something new. But there's just so many other people that I feel would be who are coming to see the Blue Album, to see Pinkerton, or these days to see like Africa and some of the covers. Who you could maybe capture if you put in something fun that they're not expecting to hear and they don't know they want yet. Yeah, um, but. I can see the, I can see why they do it now. I, I just I just wish it was a little bit different, ever so slightly different. <laughs> and since now, since we're putting that in the universe to the Weezer verse, I think mm-hmm. it's it's going to happen. Someone will yeah, hear this. Let's 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 hope. Um, <laughs> I, I I I put it out there. Take those vibes, Weezer verse, and do something with them. <laughs> I'm glad that they're back with uh, Jake Sinclair personally because I I love the White Album. That's why I came back to liking Weezer Mm -hmm. because I really wasn't there for everything will be all right but the White Album I came back and I think that Jake Sinclair has a way of kind of like he reminds me of like I can't really compare them but to me he's like the second Rick Ocasek like Mm -hmm. he can bring them to a good place that everyone likes so I think we'll probably I am hoping we'll get another good album me too. I think Jake seems to be really great at what he does. He seems to have a good working relationship with the band. Like as a as a creative myself, who's by no means nowhere near successful as Jake or Rivers, but as someone who has like worked collaboratively, I liked hearing some of the stuff in the press about how like Rivers chafed at some of Jake's ideas or his approach to making the album or what he wanted to sound like. I liked hearing that stuff because I think that that combativeness can be good for art. Not that you're necessarily fighting, but if you're disagreeing, that means you're feeling like passionately about something. Mm-hmm. I think that can produce good work. I've always maintained that, you know, for me, like what Weezer lost when they lost Matt Sharp was less about like the bass play, but more about like Matt seemed from all appearances to be a bit of a snob, to have some pretty high standards. And so like losing that probably impacted the band more than they realized at the time. The idea that you lost maybe a voice that could sometimes be critical or want more out of the work than they were necessarily getting. That's that's important stuff to have. And so, like, hearing about how the band has worked with Jake and kind of, like, struggled with and also thrived with his ideas is something that, like, excites me to hear what they do next. So I'm, I'm also equally excited for that album. <laughs> at least they're, they're thinking about it. They're... Yeah you know, putting that effort, like maybe if they don't agree, or at least he's, you know, challenging them to be a better them and -hmm. not just going like, yes, reverse, good job, reverse, you know? And I I will say, I think the, I don't think the Black Album is anywhere near as good as the White Album, but what interests me about the Black Album is that there does seem for the first time to be a genuine effort to like 
rethink how the band sounds. And not necessarily that I want them to sound that way forever, but after seeing so many album promotional cycles where the band talks about simultaneously finding a new sound and also sounding like the classic stuff, it was good to hear them just lean into sounding different. And there's like huge hits and misses on that song in terms of how they are on that album in terms of how they achieve it. But I think that stuff's really interesting too. I'm a big TV on the radio fan. So I was, I was excited to see them work with Dave Sidek and I thought he had some interesting ideas for what they, they could sound like on that album. Yeah. It's an interesting album. I don't like all of it, Mm -hmm. but I don't hate any of it. Yeah. There's not one that I can say I don't like really. Even the ones I don't like, I like because they're mm-hmm. catchy or whatever. Yeah. When I was talking to Wheeze Talking Wheeze, Chris and Chris, mm-hmm. they said that, you know, it seems like every song has its own genre that they kind of went with. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, I think that's interesting and and odd at the same time. Like, it's like, I don't know if I like that, but I, I also think it's like, okay, well, that's an idea. Yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it that it's like a collection of different genres and it's it's almost like uh it's almost a, like a sampler platter, right? Of like what yeah. what 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 could Weezer sound like? What do we like? What don't we like? And my hope is that the band learn some stuff from it that they will not necessarily sound like a particular song in the future, but they maybe learn some stuff that will help fill out their sound and lead to some more interesting choices in the future. The Black Album could just be an album where they benefit from it in ways that we don't necessarily see, but we'll eventually hear baked into future songs. It's a learning experience. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Well, so why don't we get back to you? Um, Okay. When did you get into Weezer? Tell us your Weezer story. How did you get into them? What happened? So I talk about this, I believe, on like the first episode of my show, which I I say not to escape the question, but if you want the fullest answer, I would go listen to it. It's about the Maladroit demo Acapulco, and I talk a bit about it. But for me, it was just, uh, I have that pretty classic common story of I watched Buddy Holly on Windows 95 um, (laughs) because my dad was like an amateur technologist. He he was really interested in computers, entirely self-taught, like to like learn how to to build his own, replace his own components. And so I remember it was like very exciting when we got Windows 95. I remember being around the computer with him and my brother and just like exploring all the features. And so when you got to, I believe it was called Windows Media Player at the time, <laughs> just they had Buddy Holly. It was, I believe, one of two or three videos on the machine, on the operating system. And we just watched it over and over because (laughs) we were so excited to be on this new cool thing. The music was really catchy. And we all knew Happy Days, right? Um, It's a show that like my dad grew up with. It's a show that even though I was young, I had seen just like in repeats on television, probably like like, during the daytime and summers (laughs) when I was home. And so it was just like really interesting and thrilling the 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 thing that's strange about it in terms of my story is I think a lot of people watched that video and became immediate Weezer fans. But I wasn't much of a music listener at that point in my lifetime. So I knew that song. I liked that song. But I was so like distant from having a relationship with a band or being like any sort of music fan that it never occurred to me of like, oh, I should now listen to other songs by this band. That, <laughs> like it never occurred to me, they have a CD or cassette I should go get. 
And so I what never actually... What were you actually, into? I wasn't into any music. And I, I believe I'd tell this story in the podcast. I'll tell it here too, because I think it's pretty funny. I was in... Uh, there was a music class in my elementary school. So I believe it was like sixth or seventh grade. We had to... We went to class and instead of performing music on like a recorder, um, <laughs> which I feel like is a, a pretty common experience for a lot of people, yeah. we had to do a report on the fly where we got some sheet of paper and it was like, fill out your uh, information on your favorite musician or band. And you just answer these simple questions about them. Just stuff like, what's their name? What's your favorite song? What do you like about them? But I didn't, like, I was so disconnected from music of any kind and listening to it, I didn't know what to fill in. And so what, what happened to me at that age is I was a big newspaper reader. I love reading the newspaper. And so that morning... I had read an article because I, I basically read the comics and like the stuff about movies, <laughs> and yeah, I had me read too. this. I had read this article about um, Weird Al Yankovic because this was around the time that he had released uh, Amish Paradise, <laughs> his parody of the song Gangsta's Paradise. Okay. And so, we, I was just like, okay, I know this guy's name. I know a song he did because I saw it in the newspaper. So I just filled it out, and we had to go up and give a little talk, a presentation about like this sheet we had filled out. So I had to go up there and pretend to be like a big Weird Al fan. And I got That's made funny. fun of because no one <laughs> at that age, at that time, or at least in my class, I should say, liked Weird Al or knew who he was. So I got like probably like light, what we would call now lightly bullied about the fact that people <laughs> didn't like my choice. And all I was trying to do is like finish the assignment. So You're like, I just had to pull something out of yeah. my butt. I'm sorry. It was a weird owl and you yep. don't like it. If I listened to any music at that time, it was just whatever I mentioned earlier when we were talking about like podcasts I listened to. I listened to a lot of talk radio, so that's why there wasn't a lot of music on. If if it was, it was like in the car with my mom who would play uh, the station Oldies ninety eight. So so uh, it's just some classics like, like a lot of like Elvis, Beach Boys, yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, not classic rock, predating classic rock, and. But, like, I wasn't paying enough attention to say, like, the bumpers in between the songs to, like, learn artists' names. Um, so, yeah, I was just really unfamiliar. And I didn't start listening to much music until later in high school. So, like, several years after that. And that's when I started getting back into Weezer. It's when I got the Blue Album. And, I, and that, to me, was a choice of, like, oh, I know I like this song, so I should buy this album. So I had that connection, that realization, just many years separate. <laughs> And yeah, so I just remember listening to the Blue Album and then hearing that Pinkerton was bad. And so I, I listened to the Blue Album in full and just like just listened to it over and over right around the time like the Green Album was about to come out. That's when I got into okay. the band. And because I had heard Pinkerton was quote unquote bad, I skipped it for a while. So I listened to the Blue Album. Next one I listened to was the Green Album. And then I think when I started in college, I finally met someone like that first semester freshman year who was like, oh, no, you have to listen to Pinkerton. It's, like, <laughs> like, it's not bad. People You've are wrong. you got to try it. Yep. Yeah. And so it was great for me because, you know, while retroactively it would have been nice to be a fan all along, like I wasn't in love enough with music or really like in a family that probably could afford to send me to shows at the time I was growing up. So I don't think I realistically missed out on seeing like Blue Album and Pinkerton era shows. That just wasn't happening for me, even if I got into the band then. So getting into them right as they started touring again was great because I got to listen to the new stuff, listen to the old stuff, and go see them on tour several times in like relatively short order. Because I, I went from... 
Blue Album to the release of the Green Album to being turned on to Pinkerton to the Maladroit demos. Like, if you want to know why I'm such a big Weezer fan, it's because the time of my life where I was falling in love with them and most passionate about them was, for me, very prolific. So I got to hear all of their new material and all their old material in short order. And so it's like, in retrospect, of course I'm like a fan for life because they just got me with all this stuff, in part intentionally because they were producing new music, and in part unintentionally because I just happened to listen to the old stuff at the right time that it was just like, oh yeah, in, I'm in. the I'm back in. of your head. Yep, exactly. So that's that's how I got into them, and I've been connected like ever since. I'll sometimes take breaks where I just like engage less in like the fan community and stuff just when usually when like the if there's like an album out that doesn't speak to me quite as much I might bow out for a bit as a host of a Weezer podcast now that's probably not going to happen as much because right staying involved is how you find out news how you learn about like smaller interviews and stuff that I, I need for the show so that that's my story <laughs> I'm sure that Carl will appreciate your your hard work uh, with the documentation <laughs> of all of that. Um, Hopefully. Carl's Carl's done tons of great work himself to help me make this show <laughs> to begin with. There's yeah. tons of great material that only exists because of him. It's insane. It's yep. insane. I feel like also on Weezerpedia that sometimes things have just kind of like stopped being contributed at some point. And like I hope I should probably like get off my butt and like get on there or something, but it just kind of feels like there's nothing new. Well, there's that... there is someone. Uh, his name's Dylan, um, who is finally going through and doing a ton of updating. And he's actually, I believe, I saw him mention that because of listening to podcasts like ours, it's pointing out to him areas of growth for Weezerpedia. Like I just had a guest on who did was not familiar with the Weezer demo, Prodigy Lover. And he didn't know how to hear it. And so what Dylan did is realized, oh, I need to go back to these Weezerpedia pages and put in like YouTube embedded videos for these songs. So that if someone looks up Prodigy Lover, instead of just seeing like some text about the song, they get to listen to it there. So I think Weezerpedia, after some years of stagnation, is like starting to pick back up again, which is exciting because there's people like us that are probably helping this get into motion because we're talking about the songs, talking about the history. And like both leaning on these resources and also pointing out some of the areas of growth where we talk about stuff not necessarily linked or contained there yet. Yeah. That you've had to, I've, I've had to like try to find content sometimes when you know that there's stuff out there. It's just not, mm-hmm. it's not there. And I don't know, even then it can be unreliable or I'll go to like, you know, regular Wikipedia and that's unreliable. Mm-hmm. That's even worse because, you know, those that regular Wikipedia is just everybody. And at least Weezerpedia, you know, it's like nerdy fans who are like, mm-hmm. who care about it being right. And so hopefully, like, those are the right dates. And, you know, yeah, I think. Just- I think the hardest thing about producing the show for me is dead links, like where you find a link to something that you want. And then tracking it down, like I, I spend so much time in the uh, the Wayback Machine at the yeah. Internet Archive, <laughs> just trying to find. For me, the hardest was trying to find like the leaked make believe track lists <laughs> from, I believe it was like March of two thousand five. Like finding that was probably the the most difficult thing to track down in producing the show so far. And yeah, it's 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 fun when you're in the hunt, but I wish it was all mm-hmm. a little more 
easily found. Um, yeah, and, you feel uh, like a detective or something. Exactly. <laughs> You're like, I'm a, I'm a Weezer sleuth. Yeah, the, the world's most insignificant detective is <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a Weezer detective. <laughs> put on my Rivers glasses here and get down to business. <laughs> so uh, what's your favorite album? Or do you have one? Uh, it's hard to say. What I like about doing post-Pinkerton is I can avoid that question because I get to talk about my favorite post-Pinkerton album. Because if I'm talking about my favorite album, it has to be Blue or Pinkerton, right? right? And it really changes depending on where I'm at. I think when I was a younger man, it was Pinkerton. Um, and then as I've grown up, I think it's the Blue album. Um, so I would say right now, it's the Blue album. If we're, if we're talking about anything other than those first two albums, which are always jockeying for one and two, it would be Everything Will Be All Right in the End is like my my post-Pinkerton favorite album. Um, okay. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, it's, it's a great one. It actually, um, I've touched on this a bit on my show, and I was thinking about it when you were talking about how White sort of recaptured your relationship and your imagination with the band. I actually did not give the White Album the fairest of shakes when it first came out because I loved Everything Will Be All Right in the End so much. And I was so happy to finally have what I considered like another classic Weezer album so many years after the first two that I kind of like checked out on the band for a little bit. Like I was so happy after that album and that <laughs> You're tour. You're like, I'm good. I don't need that, anything else. Yeah, that it took me a little while to like listen to White a bunch and realize that like, oh, wow, they did it like twice in a row. Like that was not something that occurred to me because I was like still blissed out from the album beforehand. <laughs> You're like impossible, not mm -hmm. two of them. Yeah. And so do you have a favorite song? Would it be off of off of Blue? Yeah, it would be off of Blue or Pinkerton. Um, it might actually be off of Pinkerton, even though I said the Blue album is my favorite album. Okay. Oh, this is so difficult. I would have to say, though, like, if I'm just, if I'm going purely on, like, what song, what Weezer song have I listened to the most in my life? If we assume that's my favorite, it's The Good Life. I think that's probably my favorite song. But it's, and it probably does change less it just has everything i want in a weezer song but there's there's tons of contenders like the, the gap from one to two to three is pretty tiny <laughs> on that list what what are what are some other songs on that list uh so if it's not the good life it's probably going to be hmm i really love uh surf wax america quite a bit and you know now that i now that i say the third one like I, the second would probably have to be Say It Ain't So. And Say It Ain't So could be number one. Like, there's a part of me that doesn't want to pick it because it's, like, the obvious choice. Right. But Say It Ain't So, like, on my podcast is sort of the go-to. Like, if I ever need to reference what I think a classic Weezer song is, I mm -hmm. always point to Say It Ain't So because it's got... Um, obviously, it's got all the emotion. It's got the classic guitar solo. And it it's not about, like, oh, this girl broke my heart, which is like a big right. part of Weezer, but I don't think it's the only part of Weezer. And as I get no. older, it's definitely all the other stuff, like whether he's talking about his relationship with his father or singing about like uh, when he does songs about like where he wants to live in life and sort of like his sense of place within the country. Like that stuff is what really interests me these days. So probably the good life and say it ain't so or jockeying for one and two. And I, I might be comp... I might be compromising since I picked the blue album as my favorite album. I put a Pinkerton <laughs> track as my favorite song. That might be no. unconsciously happening. That's okay. Thank you. 
<laughs> I'll, I'll allow it because thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> I don't know that. I mean, you can still. I think that they can ha- be a tie as well because you, to me, you can't listen to Weezer and not listen to one or the other of those two albums. Like you have to, yeah, probably like them both. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, I would think that that would be weird. Like if you can't appreciate yeah. those two, I don't know. Maybe you just stick with like the later stuff then. I don't know. Yeah. When it comes to the later stuff, I would say my favorite song, like my favorite song when I talk on the podcast about what my favorite post Pinkerton song is, it's Foolish Father. Um, <laughs> and I will, I haven't done the episode yet. I kind of keep teasing it because it's going to be definitely one of my favorites to write. But I think what appeals to me about Foolish Father is it connects in several ways to Say Ain't So. I think it's like an yeah. unintended spiritual successor. And I, I can't wait to the for the day I get to go on my show and talk about uh, <laughs> all the reasons I think that is. <laughs> I think maybe that album is a emotional successor to Pinkerton or Blue. Yeah, that's, um, that's what's interesting, like... So it, it's very interesting that the band has these two, like, first two albums, very good. One of them very popular, but both very good. Then they had these two, many years later, albums in a row that were both mm, very good. Mm-hmm. Although, to me, Everything Will Be All Right in the End reminds me more of Pinkerton, and White reminds me more of Blue. And I, I don't think yeah. it's just because of the color thing, but just, like... No, the sound. Yeah, the sound, too. And just some of the some of the songwriting structure the and content, things like that. yeah. Yeah. Um, because everything will be all right has like some weird content, uh, yeah. That I wouldn't choose. Uh, for... It's a weirder, messier record. Um, and white sort of has the tightness and coherence of blue. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. Do you have any other side projects that you want to talk about before we? Yeah, I, I do have side projects. I did want to talk about this project for Post Pinkerton that I'm excited about too. And that's, it's not a side project because it'll be an episode on the show. But what I'm doing right now is, what I've been doing for months is I'm trying to interview everyone that co-wrote Turning Up the Radio, which is the first track on Death the False Metal. But it's probably better known to like diehard fans as the song that Rivers did the Let's Write a Song project on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And so there's, I believe, 16 or 17 collaborators. I have them. I showed you, Rachel, in, in our little pre-talk, the little board I have up in my room with everyone's name on it. And I You have like a off. detective board up there with like, yeah. you know, yeah, strings I really, and I really circles. am the Weezer detective, I'm realizing. <laughs> I like it. So part of the reason I want to talk about it is because it's it's been a long time coming and there's still like, I think, a lot more work ahead. Uh, when people ask me when it's going to be out, those I've told about it, I can't. I have trouble even promising this year because I have no idea how much longer it's going to take to track everyone down and interview them. And so, what excites me about talking about it is a: if I talk about it, that helps it become a real thing. <laughs> yeah, now you <laughs> it, have to it, do it. It forces me to keep working on it. But b: if you're out there and you co-wrote on the song or you know someone who did, <laughs> uh, those types of connections really help me. I, I've already found one person that way who listens to the show and was able to connect me with someone. And so, just putting it out there in case you know anyone, I would love to talk to them. Um, I think it's going to be a really good episode. I did this really great interview with a guy named Taylor Morden. He's, I believe his name was Taylor2D2 uh, is his YouTube name, if you remember those videos. And so he was able to tell me about stuff that I don't think we publicly really knew that much about, which is that Taylor 
was he did a lot of the recording. He had a home studio, so a lot of the recording you hear in that YouTube series was from him. He worked with the band after the YouTube series ended. Like they sent him files and had him do additional work because they tried to do a, a new Weezer version. So there's a, a apparently a recording of turning up the radio that's all Weezer. It's a you know Brian, Pat, Scott, and Rivers, just them, and it didn't quite recapture the magic of the YouTube song. So they brought Taylor in, not physically, but they they sent him the files, they looped him into the process and had him do some work on the song. And so one of my dreams is to not just get every co-writer, but I'm trying to track down that original Weezer version of the song. Because it would be amazing to this process that was so public to fill in that final puzzle piece of like, hey, here's the recording we never got to hear, the Weezer recording. Yeah, so, that's so cool. Fingers crossed. I can't promise anything, but that's that's my big, like, Post Pinkerton is often a week-to-week project for me. Um, but like, this is one that's like been overarching for a few months and taking up a lot of time. And it's why, it's why Post Pinkerton has become more of a week-to-week process is I have to not only do the show, but I often have these separate recordings scheduled in between. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So who do you have and who do you need still on your list? <laughs> Gosh, I wish I was more organized so I had a better answer. Um, <laughs> I have, so I've talked to Cameron, I've talked to Mike, I've talked to Taylor, I've talked to Daniel, I've talked to Justin. I need several others though. I'm, I'm not quite at half, but I'm getting there. The good news is I've I've found a way to contact almost everybody the bad news is I have no way of knowing if like some people I've only found on Facebook and Facebook will send messages to this special folder if you're not friends. So I have no way of knowing if those people saw them. Some people I found emails, but maybe it went to spam. So that's kind of why I'm putting out this call is, you know, I know everyone's names. I've had a way to contact <laughs> almost everyone in some fashion, but um, anyone that who knows these people in real life and can poke them for me is kind of what I need at this point. So... Uh, please reach out. But otherwise, that, that's the big post Pinkerton project. Cool. Other projects I work on is entirely separate of like Weezer stuff. I am an improv comedian here in Seattle. I'm a performer and a producer. I produce this show called uh, Miscast, which is it's a monthly comedy show where we pair these really funny comedians with scripted performers. And we what we do is we have like themes each month. And so we'll have a, a scripted performer performing from some popular television show or movie related to the theme so okay. like this, this next show we're doing is romantic comedies in may so we'll have like someone playing bridget jones from bridget jones's diary and then the comedian is not just someone who's like super funny but someone who hasn't seen bridget jones's diary and so they have to <laughs> improvise their way through the scene and they're they're really fun it works out strangely well because you, you obviously don't recreate the original scene but you create this <laughs> new fun crazy thing that works and makes much more sense than you'd ever that think. That sounds so funny. Yeah, and it's it's been going really well. It's been a, a very popular show. Uh, it's a, a pleasure to produce, and that that's sort of my big monthly uh, commitment. Other than this weekly show I'm doing, is producing that show. So if you live in the Pacific Northwest, come come check it out. Uh, and where would you where would people go see you perform at? What's the name of the? Yeah, if you want to, so that show I don't perform in, but you can learn more about it at uh, miscastcomedy.com. I perform in a show called Have a Slice with IMNDC. It's a it's a more traditional like imp- long form improv show where we uh, our our big pitch is we we bring a slice of pizza to every show, 
and we <laughs> give it to an audience member who's willing to come on stage, tell us a bit about their life, and then we let them eat the pizza and we do a show that's inspired by their life uh, right in front of them. It's been great fun. Uh, we've been doing it for a few months now. It's uh, uh, just growing month by month, and I, I perform in that as well as co-producing it. So again, if you're in the Pacific Northwest, come on out. I- I'd love to see you there. Come come tell me that you heard about it from the show, and, and we can talk <laughs> some Weezer too. <laughs> that all sounds very fun and exciting and funny, and I totally want to see that movie reenactment there's a thing going on in LA right now where like everyone's getting drunk and doing stuff or they're doing like comedy versions or musical versions mm-hmm. interactive versions of things yeah but that actually sounds funny to have one person that has to like <laughs> stick to the stick to the show and then one person who's like what is happening here mm-hmm. Do they know that they get a character or like, it's like if they were Bridget Jones, like, do they know that they have to be the dude that she loves oh, or no, do they yes. just like go in? They go in, with, they go in without any preparation. And <laughs> what I expect and want them to do is not be that character because what the, the only times the show is not fun is if someone knows a little too much about the movie or the TV show and they try to act out what they think is real or right. That's not fun. What's fun is when you have like uh, something sticking out in my memories. We recently did Mad Men. We did an episode of Mad Men. So we (laughs) pulled a scene from that. Someone played Don Draper and his scene partner chose to be a dog, which is like the craziest possible (laughs) choice you could think of. But it was so funny to see Don, like this intense Don Draper scene. And instead of talking to Peggy, he's talking to a dog. (laughs) It was uh, was a blast. Uh, did they like get down on the floor and the whole oh, thing? Oh yeah, yeah. This That's is a, <laughs> this is played by this guy out here named Graham Downing, a super super funny and talented performer, and it was just a a very memorable performance. <laughs> and just for my own personal pleasure, what scene mm-hmm. was it? Uh, it's the uh, what I would call the "That's what the money is for" scene, where Peggy and Don spend a long night in the office and kind of get into an argument because Peggy is standing up her boyfriend who's trying to like host a birthday dinner for her. But she's getting in arguments with Don about who was sort of the who gets the credit for this popular commercial they made, um, and he he shouts, "That's what the money is for!" Is sort of the the pivotal uh, pivotal moment. Like, of who that cares? Scene. Yeah. Was it the Pepsi one that they were talking? No, about? No, that was the the cowboy one. It's like a some sort of floor cleaner. I forget the product <laughs> name, but yeah, because I think they the cowboy one. I don't understand. I don't remember, but. I don't know. I'm a giant Mad Men fan. I should know mm-hmm. every scene off the top of my head, right? Yeah, I think once, if you just Google that's what the money is for after the show, <laughs> you'll see the up. clip and it will bring you right back, like right into that scene. <laughs> I love me some Mad Men yeah, and Bridget Jones. So. Mm. <laughs> perfect, perfect audience member for me, Rachel. Although I haven't seen the third one, but I don't know. I like comedy. I just don't think I would be good at it. I would get too... Nervous. Oh yeah, you can, you can just come and watch if you're ever in the area. <laughs> yes, I'll have to. I'll make a trip to come. Yeah, visit you sometime. Let me know when you're up here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, anything else before we take a break and say goodbye? No, I think that's it. Thank you so much okay. for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Rachel. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back. I wanna go 
What is next? Episode 47. We will be back talking with John about Waiting on You, which is a The Good Life B-side, so Pinkerton era song that he doesn't get to talk about on his (laughs) show. So he's going to come back and talk about it on our show. Why don't you tell everyone where where they can find you on social media? Sure. Uh, I personally am at JP Carroll Jr., on Twitter. That's two R's and two L's and Carol. But it's probably just easier to look up my uh, Post Pinkerton account, which is at Post Pinkerton. And I also have an easy email address if you ever want to email, because I'm, I'm an old man who is on social <laughs> media, but just loves good old classic email, which is postpinkertonpod at gmail.com. So those are the easiest places to find me. And you can find We Are Weezer on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter under We Are Weezer check out our website weareweezer.com listen subscribe rate us review us on apple podcasts or anywhere else that you listen to the podcasts thank you brian for the sound as usual thank you everyone for listening thank you john for coming on thanks for having me very cool to have you on here i love your show i'm excited to talk about waiting on you so we'll see you next week all right bye adios